Oda, 30 feet away. Jumper in the air. He's got it! Lamar Odom has won it for Rhode Island! In traffic, off-balance shot. Back in! Jared Terrell and Rhode Island has done it in the final five seconds on a circus shot from Jared Terrell. A career-high night for him and a victory for Rhode Island. Look it up. Oh, steal by Vance Russell off of Young. Three. Don't do it to him like that, Vance. Dribbles into the forecourt. Iverson going up. He dunks it home as the buzzer sounds. And Rody, the 8-10 champs. That's right, Rody Baseline fans. We're back for season two of Brody Baseline. My name's Andrew. Gary's with us again for another ride on what's supposed to be a special season here in Kingston for your Brody women's and Brody men's basketball teams. Gary? Yeah, it's uh, it's great to be back. Season two, episode one of Brody Baseline. As always, make sure to follow us on our socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Brody Baseline. If you're looking for us, Obviously, thank you to everyone that has followed us on Twitter. We reached over 250 followers there uh, and obviously give some love to all the other socials and do make sure to subscribe to us on all your favorite podcast platforms where you can listen to our new episodes coming out every Friday with this week coming out with a special Tuesday episode right before the roadie women's and roadie men's basketball games happening today. Yes. Gary, but before we uh, get started with our episode, that is a special episode with interviews with a couple of special guests that we have with us today in season previous, we'd be remiss not to thank all of our first responders, our nurses, our doctors, our firefighters, our police officers, the university as a whole from, from the new president, from Thor Bjorn, all the way down to the basketball team and the, the arena ops. If it wasn't for all of them, it's almost been 600 days since we were in the Ryan Center. And if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be able to get through there. So we want to give a special shout out to all of our first responders in the university as a whole for making this night possible. And it's going to be a special night. And I'm so glad that we are finally back in the Ryan Center, ready to bring the ruckus to the Atlantic 10 and a few non-conference schools. Yep. Uh, and obviously, I do want to shout out also the ruckus. The students are going to be out in full force today. And also, I do want to give a special shout out to Andrew's father, who is a first responder uh, for, you know, working during the pandemic and keeping us safe uh, and to all the first responders out there uh, that have kept us through this, you know, terrible time and, you know, hopefully going into the up and up and to, to better times and being back at the Ryan Center for some basketball. Thank you, Gary. That really means a lot to me and my family. I know it's from seeing it from my dad's view, it's not been an easy couple of years and out it just means a lot thank you and uh now we got a fun episode for you we got a uh, season previews andrew's hot take comes back dun, dun, dun. and uh we have special interviews with the one the only stone freeman helping us preview the men's basketball team and to preview the women's team we go straight to the top and we bring back head coach tammy reese Let's go to that interview now. All right, Rody Baseline fans, we are joined now by women's basketball head coach Tammy Reese on Rody Baseline. Last time we chatted with Coach Reese was right before the A-10 tournament. 
where we were, you know, super excited and, and an episode that actually got a lot of feedback from a lot of our fans. So super exciting on that. Coach Reese, it's, it's great to have you back. It's good to be back. It's been a long time. Oh, it's so great to finally have college basketball back too. It's crazy to think that, what, less than three weeks we'll be in the Ryan Center together for the first time in a long time. And it's, it feels the like goosebumps are already summoned. Yeah, it does. It feels like two years. It's just been so long to see fans and, and football, going to all the football games and, and having fans there. It's just, it's hopping again. Campus is popping. There's a buzz. It just feels really good to be around people again. I can agree with that because we, uh, me and Andrew have gotten to go to a few games the last couple months uh, and the atmosphere is just everybody's happy, smiling, happy to be out of the house, you know, trying to get back to things being slightly a little bit normal. Uh, so it's it's going to be great to be back in the Ryan Center. Now, obviously the season's starting very soon. What are the changes to the women's team this year? Some of the people that are returning and, and new faces around on the women's basketball team. Well, we have our core returning, obviously the play A-10 player, the co-player of the year, Emmanuel Tahan. She came back for her fifth year. Uh, second team, Marie Faposi came back. And then, you know, we returned all freshmen, Dolly Cairns, as well as Marta Vargas, Yanni. So our core is back. Now we added a lot of new faces. We have quite a few grad transfers, three in particular that are actually four that are pretty, pretty huge and significant for our program. The first being Chanel Williams, the point guard from Prov, who absolutely annihilated us last year. So adding her fifth year leadership and speed is what I like. Uh, Desiree Elmore from Seton Hall. This is a first team, all big East um, player, another fifth year. So a lot of experience. Anna Germain, six, six center from Texas A&M. They beat South Carolina for the regular season SEC championship. So she brings that kind of, she knows what it takes to win the championship. Another fifth year. And then um, Rebecca Demeke from NC State, who beat Louisville and won an ACC championship. And Rebecca's a true sophomore. So the ability for her to transfer and not have to sit bodes very well for us. And so you add those four kids who've played at a very high level and their experience, that championship culture, and it's really impacted our team. Our depth is astronomical. Whereas last year we may could go 70 and start to feel the effects after that this year. Um, I haven't even mentioned the freshmen yet. We've added four freshmen as well. We're, we got 14 players now and, you know, we're very deep um, without any drop-off. So we've addressed the needs of number one, um, getting the depth and number two, getting some experience in key positions, the point guard and center. So now Emmanuel, she can roam. She's worked on her face-up game. She plays, she starts the break. She can guard anywhere. She moves like a guard now, shoots the three. So now we, we have, we're very versatile in how we play. So that was the key, really, after assessing last year, our needs and, and really going after kids that could make an impact here and help us win an A-10 championship. Right, that's, I love the depth. Depth is actually one of my biggest things when it comes to basketball because it's so fast-paced. But you did mention a lot of those schools. They're they're all all those kids are all coming from what so you call like the power five schools and the big conferences. That can that could not have been easy to beat out other schools to get these transfers to come in. What does that say about the program as a whole 
that were able to take kids from Providence, Texas A&M, and all these other big national brand schools to get them to come to Kingston? You know, it, it's really a testament to my staff. We can recruit. It, it's, it's something I was very good at as an assistant. Obviously, Agni, he was very good. And my staff just, they worked their buns off at building relationships with kids. And we may not get them the first time around. It's called a bounce back. There's a reason you be nice to kids. There's a reason you, you know, you really go hard and recruit them. And in the end, when they're not happy, if it so by chance doesn't work out, they'll remember that they'll come back to you. And a lot of word of mouth enabled us to get some of these kids. Now, obviously I coached Desi at Syracuse for a year. She trusts me, her family trusts me. Um, they know me. So when I say Desi's not going to play the five at 5'10", I'm going to I'm going to make her a guard. They can trust me rather than going to a power five school where they don't have time to develop Desi's guard skills, maybe. And if she goes there and they don't do it, well, you're stuck now. So these kids have really gotten smart as to know what they want. They didn't get it the first time around. Some didn't get it the second time around. I got to make a really good decision here. Who do I trust? Who has a good track record when I talk to their kids? The coaches here tell me this is what was going to happen. And our kids talk to them and they tell them, listen, Manu was a center in the SEC. She played center for Missouri. The reason she left was she's 6'1". If she's going to have a pro career, she needs to be able to play on the perimeter. And she trusted us that we would develop that skill for her. Well, she leads our break now. She can get it and go. So now when she talks to all these international kids, you can trust them. We have a track record. And so that's really important. We make it a point that we don't lie to kids and we don't burn kids. That's great. Trust is a huge part in recruiting and all that stuff. But speaking of recruiting, we had a lot of rule changes this year. What are your thoughts on the name, image, and likeness? And how does that affect your day-to-day tasks or being there for the players when they need advisement on that? You know, I'm all for it. It's a very delicate balance that you don't lose the feel of collegiate athletics. You know, obviously it's a business. We, schools make a lot of money off these kids. And so I think if it's done right, if, if the institution and the coaches have control of their team and their players, you know, it's part of my job is to help grow young women, build their brand, so to speak. So now they just don't have to wait to start building that brand. Um, start to build their brand on how they want to market themselves, camp businesses. How can they make money now? If they don't want to get a nine to five in the off season, I, I, I start my own, my clinics, my camps and, and really help them build that brand. And, you know, it's not, I think as impactful in the women's game yet as it, as it is in the men's game, especially football and basketball, but you are seeing some big endorsement deals. For, for some young women, not necessarily all stars. It's twins. Are you marketable for certain products? And, and that's just educating our, our, our players on what they love, how they market on social media, how they build their brand, and then going after what they want. And then balancing that with, don't forget the we. You know, suddenly it becomes a me, 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 me. You're, you're talking pro now where, you know, a lot of pros, they want to, they shoot up all the balls, they score all the points because they want all the endorsement deals and make as much money as they possibly can. You've got to be very careful with that. So I think, you know, if you mentor your young women right, 
they don't lose that family and that we when they're trying to build their own brand. It's a, it's a, it's a really delicate balancing act. Now, uh, kind of switching gears and similar to that, uh, obviously the your idea of giving happened, I would say, I think now it's been about two weeks and you guys did a phenomenal job of raising funds for the women's basketball program. I'm pretty sure, and you can correct me on this, that you guys did lead in donations. I know myself and Andrew at the last check, I think you guys were at a, over $125,000. Um, and I know that you did a lot of special things with the players, uh, coaching staff, even, the pun, uh, the even pun, Thor Bjorn getting, uh, getting pied in the face. How excited does that make you feel that you have the support of you know the fans and athletics around you to, to be able to get that many donations, one of the highest donations in, in the athletic department. Um, we did. We actually, um, we got the highest monetary amount in the athletic department. Um, I think women's rowing had the most donors give back, which is a testament to, to all their, their young women. But I, you know, we can't grow as, as a team, compete for championships, if you don't have resources and, you know, that's where the fans, boosters, alumni, all those people that give back to us, enable us to give our players, our student athletes, the ability to compete for championships. And, you know, we're not the richest school. And so we have to fund, we got to do a lot of work in fundraising. If, you know, we were blessed to get a, uh, a man to, to donate for five years enough to, to charter us in conference for five years. And people say, oh, well, you're spoiled, a charter. You don't need that. You can fly commercial. Well, when you're trying to get a championship and you want your kids in class to get a 4.0, the benefit of having a charter, of getting someplace and getting home that night so the kids can be in class and rested and recover for a turnaround where you have to play you know, 24 hours later, that's really important. And when you're competing against people who do have it, Dayton, St. Louis, UMass, people that their kids, they're well-rested. They have all these things. The day of giving for us is huge because it enables us to get those resources, the money we need to make improvements in our program to compete for championships. Everyone says, oh, we want a championship. You know, um, you know, you got Red Sox jerseys on, you know, Yankees have the biggest bankroll. It's easy to buy players. When you got money, you can buy championships and you have all the resources to do it. Look at the poor, who was it? The Oakland A's when they, they put the analytics in and they, they had that. So we just want, and we thank for the day of giving, we thank God that so many people give to us. And we appreciate it to no end because it's enable us a new locker room, which helps in recruiting to no end. Kids walk in there now and they're like, whoa, this is nice. Practice facility coming. Oh my God, you should see it. It's, it's ridiculously beautiful. Charters. So everything our competition has, we have. So now what is it? Is it, do you like the coaches more? You know, they, they always say they love us, but, mm, you know, you don't have what A has. You know, the, A, you're a kind of a C plus. I'm looking for A plus. And so now we're getting on a much more level playing field because of those people that give back to our program. And it has enabled us to be as successful as we were last year. And 
we were enabled to sign the kids we signed because of last year's day of giving. All the, all the things we were able to do with that money, those recruits came and said, you, this, is, this is beautiful, we'll come here. And we beat out some great BCS schools for those kids. So it really, day of giving was huge. And you know, I wanted to give, make people smile and laugh and do something special. If you're gonna donate money, let, let's do something fun and, and give you a shout out, not just a thank you, but let's pie some people in the face and have a good time doing it. It was a, it was a great team bonding day and it felt good to pie Thor in the face. I'll tell you what, he's, I gotta a, ask, he's a great was sport. It was it whipped cream or shaving cream? Oh my God, it was whipped cream. And we smelled like rotten babies for like three hours. It was disgusting. Someone said you should have done whipped shaving cream because it doesn't stink. And the sun was out and you start to smell like spoiled milk. You're like, oh my God, this is disgusting. But, uh, you know, when we were done, we all ran in and quick showered, but it was, um, it was fun though. We, we had a good time. But I, I couldn't agree with you more about how charters and the practice facility is massive. Just look at this past weekend with the football team and the the videos that you saw of the kids, how excited they were about the Patriot getting to use the Patriots plane. I have a full, fully believe that that is going to help Coach Fleming with recruiting. And not only just them, it could help you guys. The fact that one of the richest men in the world helped little old Rhode Island out. So who knows where that could lead us to, which yeah. is great to see. It is. It's, it was, and that was just such a, an incredible thing for the, for the fellas, but you know, Mr. Kraft, that was just the, the nicest thing I've ever seen. You know, really um, that, that made their year. That's a special thing. You don't get to get on a Patriots private charter very often. That's like a no. once in a lifetime thing. And it, it was special, but things like that, it does. It means a lot. It really does. It helps you, um, especially the social media aspect of it. And word gets around. Um, suddenly your school is a hot topic. It's a buzz. It's a buzzword. Um, and you start trending. And that's important mm-hmm. nowadays. We know that. Uh, you brought up team bonding. And that leads me to my next thing. Obviously, the fall is big for getting the players accustomed to the system and on the court. But a few weeks ago, you got to bring the team to the Connecticut Sun game and you had one of the players talk to them. I saw that. How, how, what did that mean to you to have a professional WNBA player talk to the team? And how have you been able to manage the team building for this season coming up with so much expectation? You know, first thing we talked about and we said as a staff, um, we took this from Shaka Smart um, and he said this to his staff. He was going to spend he wanted his staff to spend the most time with their kids and really focus on team building, family and bonding. And he was going to lead the country in that, have the best relationships with his team. And that was what was going to be important to him. And we took that same philosophy coming out of a COVID year where it was so horrible that you couldn't spend any time together um, other than practice. And so we, every two weeks, we, we built something in, um, whether it be physically or a mental challenge or whatever it was, we had beach Olympics one day, um, when the team, I saw that was cool. Um, and we spent the day doing all kinds of games on the beach. There was people out there. We did tug of war and spike ball and all different things, ate lunch together. I had a team barbecue at my house. We did, um, 
they did a haunted house uh, last Saturday <laughs> and um, we're scared to death. Uh, West Greenwich, I think Field of Screams um, and they loved it and they just did that. I wanted it to be the team, but we do a bunch of different things where we try to spend as much time as we can after workouts, individuals, coaches, we just sit, we talk. Um, could be a half hour about what's going on with them. You know, that's one thing I, I would say our staff is unbelievable at. Kids will text me, call me, conversations at night. That is special. And you, you form a bond that cannot be broken, even through the most adverse situations. You'll know if you're a weak team, you have no chemistry. You'll find out real quick when adversity hits and you break apart and you're trying to micromanage putting fires out because you don't build that strong bond. And that's something we, we focused on from day one coming back was we're going to spend a lot of time with these kids. They're going to spend a lot of time, not just because we can, but we've got to get chemistry started earlier this year. Last year, we had no preseason. It showed in our first couple of games. We, we only had like four weeks of practice as a group before we started playing. We didn't hit our chemistry till around Christmas when we had those three weeks to really get together, get healthy and practice. So from day one now, we focused on that. And um, it, um, I think it's going to pay huge dividends because our team is very close. Um, they all enjoy each other. And, you know, they get snippy here and there um, competition wise, but, you know, they'll fight for each other. And when, when they, they'll attack. Um, it's funny. We did something called spirit animals. Um, I'm a ram. I'm an Aries. I'm a ram. And then my yang is a, is a hummingbird because I got so much energy. I'm zippy. So every one of our kids had to do research about who's your spirit animal. What is it? And then you got to explain to us why. So, and they took this to heart. Like they, they found their spirit animal. They told us why it represents them. And it kind of clues you in as to how they see themselves. And now, okay, if they are that animal and they're saying these characteristics, well, now I know they're a little shy. They're an introvert. I can't attack them. So things like that, you know, and then I'm going to give them this, we're going to have this team thing we do with their spirit animals on the t-shirt and their names. So if you see us on the court and I'm screaming panda or chicken or fox or lion or wolf, you'll know they're like, what the hell are those plays? No, I'm talking to my kids. You don't know what kid. Cause I'm not using any other names. It's their spirit animals. Um, and so just things like that, that just try to connect each other as tight as we can be. Um, and I like corny things like that. I'm into sayings. I'm into positivity. I'm into stones, all that stuff. We do a lot of those, those things for the kids. Um, and, um, you know, to get them to believe and stay positive and fight for each other. So I'm a big believer in that stuff. I'm, I'm huge into that. Now, obviously with last year and COVID, you, you touched on this, obviously uh, only having four weeks of practice and, and this year being a complete 180. Uh, what is the vibe that you're feeling in practice? You know, are the kids excited? Are they ready to be back in front of fans? Are they, you know, wishing that the regular season started tomorrow? Like, what is the, the vibe happening at practice, you know, with everything kind of coming, you know, super fast and super quick? I think they're wishing we, we played tomorrow because they're tired of practice. Um, <laughs> you know, and I tell them this all the time. We're, we're, we're building an environment that practice, I'm making it 
as hard as it possibly can be. So when they get into game situations, they're ready. It, it, it'll be easy. And a lot of adversity right now. They're pretty long days right now because we're installing a lot. So gradually as we get in the season, we cut short time down our practice time, but you know, they're, they're anxious. They want to, they want to see someone other than themselves um, for sure. And they definitely want to see refs because they're tired of us refing. I see every one of these. I tell them like, you guys better stop jabbering. I said, I'm a horrible ref. I know it, but so are the referees in general. So you gotta, you gotta live with it. Play on. Um, I don't give them a call at all. It's a bloodbath in practice right now. So I got to get some reps in there this weekend and have a little controlled scrimmage. That, that'll make it a uh, worth it though. Come, uh, come March madness when everything's all rough and tough. So yes. keep up the bad referee. <laughs> I wish, I wish it could be rough and tough. Like it's so you can't touch a person now, like defense is out the window. Um, they, they set the offense up for everything, free flow, everything defense, you're screwed. Um, you really, you really are. You got to try to play as, as tough as you can without ever touching anybody. Um, you know, the eighties and early nineties are gone. It is hmm. not if Jordan played right now, he score 90 a game. <laughs> he got really? hand checked until tomorrow. Like how it's just funny to me, these guys. And then every one of these guys nowadays, everybody cries for calls. It's sick. Yep. I'm like, will you stop crying? My God, they don't even hardly yep. touch you. They look like yep. soccer players out there. <laughs> Let Bill Lambeer come and clothesline you one time. That's a call. And even then, you <laughs> didn't get a technical. You popped up and you started fist fighting. Like these guys, I just don't understand it. Like no, all toughness gone away. No, that's why I, I'm not a. I I love the NBA, love the Celtics, but it's just it's too much acting and stuff for me i'll stick to my college basketball the passions there and all that other stuff but uh <laughs> speaking of the defensive and all that stuff what are what can we see more uh, with the team we're we gonna see like from a defensive standpoint man to man zone you're gonna keep it to the vest we're gonna see no. a lot of everything you know we're gonna we've got our man in um obviously we switched to zone last year because we couldn't guard my mother um and we had to and it's what we, they were most comfortable with, listen, I'm a coach that I'm not going to bang my head and have it my way. I'm a man coach. I love man to man, but the kids were not good at it. They just weren't, they couldn't guard my mother. And for some reason I said, all right, we're going to go with this Syracuse two, three. I've learned it. I know it really well. I ran it for years and I've never been a zone coach. And then they, they absolutely fell in love with it. They flew around in it. They, they just believed in it. And I think it made them just much more comfortable that they would have help. And they, so we used it and we primarily used all zone there, probably 80% zone, 20% man in, in conference where now we've got some different combinations. So I'll be able to mix it up. I won't let anyone really be able to get a rhythm. We can play the switching man. We can play straight up man. We'll do our zone. We could do some trapping zone. We'll press a little bit. So um, the pressing and stuff I'll install a little bit later. I want to get really good at our basic principles of man and our basic principles of zone. And then we'll do some nice things out of it, traps and different things. But um, you'll see a combination of both. A little bit more equal this year, I believe. Hopefully. I say that now. You better <laughs> want to play some man-to-man defense or... I'll throw it out the window again, but um, we have a, we have the depth now where I don't have to save people from foul trouble or 
they, I can sub. So you got to be able to guard and play offense. You got to, you got to be a two-way player. So we've got depth now. So I don't want to hear you're tired. I, I need to save myself. There is none of that. We'll, we'll sub you out. We'll sub you back in. So I believe we'll be more 60, 40. Is it November 9th yet? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that brings, that brings up here. So uh, obviously you guys open up the season away at Dartmouth on November 9th and then on Friday night with a doubleheader with the men's team, men's playing Bryant and you guys play a Merrimack on the 12th. Uh, what are some of the games on the non-conference schedule that you're super excited for um, and some teams that you're excited to play to, uh, to build up this resume for March uh, and have a little better non-conference season than last year with, you know, kind of being forced uh, to play those games without any preseason games. Yeah. You know, one game that I think the Ivy league standings just came out Princeton's number one. Um, I'm looking forward to that game. They are very good. They win league every year. Um, Carla Barubi, who played at UConn, won that first championship with them when they went undefeated. Carla is a phenomenal coach. Really, really good coach. Great team. Princeton's going to be a test for us because they've got players and they're well coached. Um, very well disciplined. They run similar to UConn. She's that kind of coach. And so much respect to her and that program. Number two, I can't wait to go down to, to UVA and play at my, I was, I can't, I was waiting for that one. Yeah. Um, it'll be special. Uh, we'll be in their Cavalier classic and play UVA and long beach. So long beach is, is, uh, they do a lot of different things as well. Pressing zone presses. So it'll be a test for our team. They love to press. It'll be two tough games on the road. Um, but I'm really looking forward to the, those two games. Um, I am. And then I'm also looking forward to playing Harvard because I think I know some of the guards they had transfer in. And again, they're going to be a pretty good team. We lost a couple games this year that we were supposed to play two more BCS schools and they backed out at the last minute. And I think we were all both in the fight with Desi Elmore uh, over that kid. And then once we got her, they said, we're not playing. So Oh, they're scared. They're scared. I wanted another good test of a good BCS. Maybe not. I talked to Dawn and I talked. Gino was looking for a scrimmage too late. We couldn't we couldn't make that work because we already had both and I couldn't get out of them. I, I did handshake deals. But Dawn, I was looking possibly to go down to South Carolina, give our kids to play in that atmosphere. And we couldn't make it work. I mean, she, her, their television schedule is so hard and we already had guaranteed games at that time that I couldn't get out of, but you know, that this is the year, if we were going to play a really good team, I wanted them to experience a UConn going to a place, a Louisville um, or a South Carolina where the women's basketball atmosphere is absolutely incredible. Exactly. Uh, so obviously those games are going to be super exciting. Obviously you guys also have a game against at PC, uh, which will be really cool uh, as well, obviously with, you know, both teams heading there. Uh, I do want to bring up, if you are still looking for season tickets, they are still available uh, through the Ryan center. Uh, $99 gets you season tickets for all the women's home games. Uh, and that is open seating as of right now, depending on how COVID, you know, dictates everything uh but it's something that's uh definitely w- i would tell you guys to look into uh this team is going to be filthy um <laughs> myself and andrew are super excited um and are actually going to be attending a lot of these games with season tickets this year which we're you know super excited to get uh after all you know the fun that we had in march watching you guys you know make it as far as you did we were super proud um and super happy that we were able to get you back onto the show 
again, um, Coach Reese, which is awesome. You guys can have me anytime. You really can. <laughs> you know, in the evenings, I don't do much. You see, I sit on the couch, watch a little Netflix, watch a little tape on the team, but that's about it. Yeah, and the games will be really fun this year. We have a lot of theme nights planned. You know, I'm a huge 80s Ooh. fan. There'll be Ooh. an 80s night. Um, so I got to dust off the old wig, the old mullet wig? Oh, yeah, bring it on. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I love things like, you know, we'll do special things with the 80 songs and, you know, our players. So, you know, a lot of theme nights, superhero day for the kids. Um, we'll do daddy and daughter day, but it's a, it's an atmosphere. It's a lot like the WNBA, you know, how hard it is to get men's tickets at the Ryan center or in the NBA the, you can't get to the court. My kids stay around after every game. We sign autographs. We take pictures. They mingle with the fans. It's very, very important for our game that, we do those things. And so we create a very family fun atmosphere for kids and just they're accessible. We're accessible to, to the fans. And I think it's important for young girls to, to be able to meet their heroes and, and see it up close and personal. So I encourage everyone, if you have daughters, sons, they, they want to be a part of something and feel a part of it, have access to our team, come to games. I'll stay and I'll sign every autograph for two hours after a game. My kids, our <laughs> girls, they do the same thing. Um, cause that's important for us. We want a great atmosphere in the Ryan center, um, a great atmosphere. Uh, so as we said, remember the women's, uh, team is home on November 12th and their first game, uh, is November 9th. Uh, so do go and get those tickets for those games. Uh, you can purchase that. I'm pretty sure those tickets are going to be a double header for the men's and the women's game. Uh, so you do want to make sure you get out to the Ryan center, go see this team. Uh, we're super excited as, as coach Reese's as well. Uh, for this team and and we think that they are going to do great things this year and uh, i'm sure that we're not the only ones who are excited there's a lot of buzz around this women's team and and thank you coach reese for being on the show once more i want to say thank you to coach reese for coming out and being so friendly with us and she's got a great staff going over there she's got a great culture over there they got special things going and i think there's a few things that she brought up that I would like to touch on. I think one of the biggest things is the fact that she was able to bring in transfers from these so-called power five schools. She has Anna Dramamine from, um, forgive me if I mispronounced her last name, from Texas A&M. She's brought in a couple of transfers from Providence College and Seton Hall. Those are big basketball schools. And to have that experience on this roster with the talent that she's bringing back next year, it's just huge to see, and it's going to be definitely, definitely great to see how this team does. One player I'm definitely interested to see have a breakout year is Captain Karens from the sophomore this year. That's going to be big, and it's just going to be an interesting, interesting year and probably historic season for the URI women's basketball team. Yeah, this team is going to you know prove a lot of things, probably make some history along the way as well. Uh, great culture that Coach Reese has uh, down in Kingston. And, you know, no excuse to not go see your women's team this year. Uh, opportunity with two doubleheaders with the men's team. Uh, but this women's team is going. Which, by the way, there was two dashingly good-looking men who I think last year brought up the fact that uh, there should be some doubleheaders played. I think we brought that up with uh, Thor in our summer episode. And uh, – not saying Gary and I had anything to do with it, but I'm not saying we did it. 
Yep. I can't, can't lie to you on that one, Andrew. I think we, uh, we might've sparked things there, but this women's team is going to make history. You do want to make sure to get down, uh, take a look at what Tammy Reese has done with, you know, the transfers, the returning players, the freshmen, there's so much to be excited about for women's basketball in Kingston. But with that, it is now time to go to the men's team and to our previews there. So we were lucky enough to chat with play-by-play announcer Stone Freeman uh, for the URI Rams. Let's go to that interview now. All right, Rody Baseline fans, we are now joined by the world-famous, not so many words that I can bring up, the lovely play-by-play commentator for the URI Rams on ESPN+. Plus. The amazing Stone Freeman has joined Rody Baseline for the second time and for our first episode of Rody Baseline. Stone, it's great to have you on talk some uh, men's basketball hoops today. Yeah, this time of year, I'm excited. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I, I love everything that's going on on social media. You two are doing an excellent job. Uh, I'm happy to see you guys back in the Ryan Center, too. So uh, thanks, really. This is uh, It's always great to talk to you, too. No, I mean, it's always great to have one of the few people that know more about the team than Gary and I do. So I don't know. I, don't know. I wouldn't say yourself too short. Uh, you get you guys get the you guys get the fan perspective. I got to try to develop some type of analysis perspective. The two of you do really <laughs> an excellent job. So uh, thanks. So I appreciate that. We we appreciate that, Stone. Uh, so jumping right into it. So new basketball team, David Cox in his fourth year couple new faces couple old faces what can you tell us about this team yeah this team is you know i i kind of like what i saw and again i know we're kind of going to dive into it but really just like a lot of fans the the only thing i've really seen from this team is that exhibition game at the ryan center that was my first time really getting to see them at length right we can look into box scores from a secret scrimmage we can look into some i know coach cox has already had a coach's show or two dating all the way back really to he did one for season ticket holders back in september so we've gotten to see a little bit and peeking behind the curtain but I really have only got to see them against Johnson or Wales. And, and I know you're going to kind of take that with a grain of salt. It's a division three school, but from this team, I think, you know, a 10 wise, you know, I, I really think they can be in the hunt for the double buy. I think St. Bonaventure's kind of, you know, leaps and bounds ahead, but, you know, especially St. Louis has taken some hits with, with injury. I look at the, those standings and, and where I'm projecting this team is where I see three through seven, I see a lot of change over there. I see a lot of toss-up games that if Rhode Island can take advantage of some road trips during the middle of their A-10 slate, we might be looking at a double bye. And I know there's plenty of games left to go. We still got the whole non-conference slate. We haven't even tipped off against Boston uh, University yet, but this is a team that's got some potential. I, I like them a lot. I think there's experience. I think there's depth. I've always loved Coach Cox, X's and O's recruiting-wise. Uh, I'm really excited to see what this team can do, and I think they can turn some heads, especially where they were projected early on this season. Yeah, I completely agree that. After watching them against Johnson and Wales, it, I mean, they looked good, made me believe what you saw in the St. John's secret scrimmage box score, but they looked good, like they're on a mission to make up for – the disastrous end to last season. And if you get a team that believes it could be dangerous come the non-conference schedule. And like you said, St. Louis lost Javante Perkins. And I think, and not for nothing, the team went eight, nine deep in the scrimmage. Cox said after the game that Sebastian Thomas was going to be part of the rotation. You still aren't 
we don't even know if Alan Bertrand is going to come back at all this year. And that's a whole nother weapon that you got off the bench again. Yeah. There's definitely depth to this team. And, and I think that's something that, that hurt Rhode Island down the stretch last year. And I think, you know, you look at historically the really good Rhode Island teams of this, of this new type of culture that came through with Dan Hurley and now is, you know, followed through with David Cox and, and depth has been there. Right. And I know you guys are really familiar with those teams, but that 2016 team keeps coming to mind again. I know that's, that's, you know, they were preseason had a little bit more hype around them and I get all that. I'm just comparing it depth wise, right? They had a lot of guards. They had two really good bigs in Hassan Martin and, and Karan Iverson. I see some similarities there. That's it. It's just a team that's got some bigs to them. They got, they got a really good front court. I think with the Mitchells both being healthy. And then when you add a guy like uh, Ish El Amin to a pre-existing uh, front uh, backcourt with, with young Ish and, uh, and Jeremy Shepard, I think that makes the bench look a little bit deeper, right? I think those having Antoine Walker, Malik Martin come off the bench and then I even thought Jalen Carey, I think, can find a role on this team if his minutes aren't as much maybe as we saw last year or the bulk of the load isn't on him in, in a starting capacity like he started last year. Um, I think there's some depth to this team that, that Rhode Island hasn't seen in a while. Now, obviously, you dive in a little bit. From what we know the starting five is, we're thinking Jeremy Shepard, Ish Leggett, Ish Alamine, which is going to be really confusing to, to have youngish and uh, newish. Um, and then both the Mitchell twins uh, for the starting five. Do you think that having both Mitchell twins being able to play in the, you know, the seniority of Ish Alamine, who played excellent defense in the Johnson and Wales game, uh, and then an Ish Leggett that I swear overnight grew muscles, got mm-hmm. bigger, stronger, more confident in there. And then you throw in the seniority of Jeremy Shepard to kind of piece everything together. You know, is that something that can kind of start the fire and, and you know, look at a team that was preseason ranked as seventh, but potentially yeah. could could uh, amount to a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, that's you hit the nail on the head. And, and I know I'm dreading only one aspect of the season, and it's having to be a play by play guy that has two Ishmael's and two um, Mitchell's on the court at the same time. <laughs> and to a certain degree, if Malik Martin comes in and you have Malik Martin, and um, Makai Mitchell, there's a lot of M's going on. There's there's so much on this team. That's besides the point. But, Stone, you know, don't fr- Stone, don't freak yourself out already. No, I was. You I haven't done. You yeah. haven't done your sheet yet. I can only oh. imagine how many marks it's gonna have. I was thinking of this the other day, and I said the the di- the good thing is right. The two Mitchell twins are each gonna wear a different number. We know that, right? That's how basketball works. And and Ish Elamine and Ish Leggett, one is a senior, one is a sophomore, so I'll be able to differentiate that way. But yeah, I think this starting lineup. Uh, um, again, I'm just really excited to see and and i'm excited to see them this week really hit the ground running um you know to to play tuesday and a friday to start the season you know i saw john rothstein had had a tweet out about how a lot of these smaller schools are, are trying to avoid playing um smaller schools in comparison to who's going to play in like that championship classic on tuesday evening i think it's like duke and all the big blue bloods but for a lot of fans right we just want to see them play for these teams they're longing to have some type of normalcy i mean we didn't play the first game of the season last year until Thanksgiving, I think, right? It was that Bubbleville started the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I mean, that's late. Imagine imagine telling us this year that we have to wait two more years, two more weeks, right? I mean, come on, you're killing us. So to have two games right off the jump, I think is a good early test. I I think BU's pretty good. I think Bryant's pretty good. So we're going to be able to see a lot from Rhode Island on their home court really right off the jump. So to get these guys minutes instantly – um, I'm really excited to see how Antoine Walker develops being, you know, kind of that sixth man, Malik Martin coming off the bench. So I'm excited to see where I'm going with this. I'm excited to see the starting five, but I'm really excited to see if that core can play, 
you know, pretty consistently what that will do to the bench and how David Cox manages the depth. And, and I, I, that's really what I'm really excited to see this season. And again, there, there'll be other guys, you know, there's a couple freshmen, right. And we talked about Sebastian Thomas briefly. I'm really excited to see those roles develop, but I'm really, really eager to see how the starting five can play um, what positions they put them in, if they can control the, the, the paint, which I, you know, again, we only have Johnson Wales to compare, but if those Mitchells are playing well and Antoine Walker is as dominant as he's been, and he's your first guy off the bench. I don't see, you know, Rhode Island, especially in the non-conference, uh, losing, you know, the rebounding margin or interior battles with some of these teams. So, yeah, some early tests early on that we'll be able to see that the starting five ironed out. But uh, I, I like those those five names going into to game one as, as your five starters. So you did mention BU, and I'll be frank with you. I got a little bit of a personal bout with this one, my uh, – my oldest sister is actually a BU alumni. Shout out Ashley, class of 2009. So she's going to be in the house at the Ryan Center on a Tuesday night. We got a little little wager on the side going on. I remember seeing BU last year. They were in the final last year. So uh, what what do you think? I think that this game is going to be a tight game throughout. I think BU is a great test to have. Same thing with Bryant. Everybody's overlooking that Bryant game. I think that Bryant game could very well be a – sneaky good game they took Bryant right down to the wire last year so what can you say about BU and Bryant and Grosso and doing everything he's doing up in Smithfield yeah I mean and again I I haven't dove too deep in in the interest of transparency and it's only because yesterday started a stretch where I have like six broadcasts and eight games and a double header next Friday and football now beats UMass so now hey hey, shout out to shout out to your rice soccer yeah, for, 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 for at this point, beating uh, Davidson and heading to the semifinal. Shout out to them. Shout out to Stone for having to go to the game and, and do all the fun Loved stuff it. there. Yeah, loved it. But uh, but yeah, I have. I'll dive really into BU all day tomorrow in the office. But the you know, I think they are two really you know good tests, and and I think you know, Jared Grosso and, and Smithfield, and and you know, we've been there before, right? So I can kind of say this, right? You're just hoping if you're a Bryant fan that this guy sticks around, right? Because I mean, he's he's so well put together as as a speaker, as a communicator, as a coach, as a recruiter. He's got New York connections, right? He spent some time at Iona. Uh, he spent some time at Fordham. So I mean, he's so well connected, and I really have liked what I've seen um, him transform just the culture at at Bryant. So to have two early tests of teams that are picked in the top half of their conferences, and this was a Dan Hurley thing. I think it was probably. I want to say 2017, 18, um, they start off with like UNC Asheville at home. And again, it might be one of those quote unquote buy games, but it's a team that's picked to finish first or second in their conference. It's not a rollover game, right? So you have to pay attention. And what it really does, and I think if you're looking at it from David Cox's sake, where you're focused on winning that game, but you're also focused on getting your team back in the routine of normal game day atmospheres, right? So what does a Tuesday home game look like now, right? Because this is different. We, I mean, no fans in the Ryan Center is one thing, but also the routine, the off-season routines, right? They had a full off-season this year versus last year. Also, in terms of players going to class, everything isn't virtual like it was last year necessarily, right? A lot of people are back in person and going to dining halls and things like that. I mean, that is the side of this that you got to get back that routine too, Um, which is why an exhibition game matters, right? Throw the opponent out the window. The Rams have to do a film session and all that, which I know they did before, but now you start to see routines develop again. And and this is where I'm really excited to see Tuesday um, not only get fans back in the Ryan center, but, but that, that feel of this is a legit season now again, right? We haven't felt this way since March of 2020. Um, So it's been a while. 
Um, but yeah, two early tests. I like I like Rhode Island's chances in them, obviously, right? But it's it's not roller games. And Andrew, I think you kind of alluded to it, right? It's not somebody that you can overlook. So to have those opportunities early on in schedule will we'll pay dividends. And it's kind of a you know a, a softer non-conference slate, for lack of a better term. Just Rhode Island, I think historically has had some tougher slates, but just opportunities to to get some W's, to get some momentum, and and hopefully start the season off two and zero. I think it's a great point that you brought up about Grosso staying. I think he was a very smart man for not taking the Fordham job. I think the biggest key to that Bryant game is going to be if Peter Kiss can end up playing. I know he's been battling some sort of injury, but and if he can play, that drastically changes that game on Friday. Yeah, that I mean, that's that's a game that you know you see a lot of times, um, and most coaches, understandably so, because they want to keep some of those connections, you know, to themselves, but. Grosso a couple of times will tweet out over the last few years that teams now are, are scheduling Bryant and then quickly before the non-conference schedules go final, they're dropping these games. And, and I think it's because we saw it a couple of years ago, Bryant went to Iowa and went toe to toe with a top five Iowa team. They end up losing, but it's those games that kind of open your eyes and go, hold on, wait a second. This team, there's something about it. And it starts normally with the head coaches, especially at a school like Bryant, that's, that's small in numbers, right? It starts with what culture the head coach is bringing, and uh, and Jared Grosso's got it. There ain't many flaws to his playbook, so uh, be interesting to see what what how his life transpires over the next six months. But his team is is going to be really competitive, not the best team in the NEC this season. Now, obviously, uh, another point that I do want to bring up. You know, you were talking a little bit about culture and you know getting back into the routine. Me, I know myself and Andrew were very surprised, and I'd love to get your take on this. Um, the roadie ruckus attendance for the exhibition game was very surprising. And I'm not saying that in a way we know how exhibition games go, you know, people look and they say, well, it's just an exhibition doesn't mean anything. Um, but is that something that we should be excited for? Do we think on Tuesday, you know, when the students are able to come back, you know, in waves and that, you know, take over the Ryan center and make it an atmosphere, make it a tough place to play as we always do. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's a good point, right? And again, it's no fault of anybody's, but exhibition games are like that, right? There's there's kind of that preconceived notion of the game don't matter, right? To the team, it matters, but for the average ordinary fan, that's not you two guys, me, right? Big time roadie people, big time college basketball people. I think you see that across the board. Historically, those games don't have a great attendance, but the students showed out. And I think it's one of two things. One, I think it's a credit to the university's athletic department as a whole. I think right now we are in, an interesting phase where I know, and again, I know people are longing for another NCAA tournament run. And, and I know really the last full year, 2020 was a disappointment because I, I think the Rams would have had to have done a lot of work in Brooklyn if they wanted to get to the, to the tournament. They won 20 games, but they'd fallen off with that loss at Saint, to St. Louis at home. They lost to Dayton in blowout fashion, granted the number three team in the country. But historically now in this last five-year window, um, football has a lot to do with it. Women's basketball and that turnaround has a lot to do with it. Um, men's basketball, you know, being a top four finisher, you know, three out of four years going into the pandemic, these are all things that change a culture. And, and, and that's what's happening here at Rhode Island. My expectation, a Tuesday and a Friday to start the season, I think you'll see some pretty good attendance, right? And, and I think that's probably what the university is expecting. But I think this is something that David Cox deserves credit for, Jim Fleming deserves credit for, Tammy Reese deserves credit for, Thor deserves credit for. I mean, we're seeing a new resurgence. And, and again, it's no fault of anybody's, and I don't want to overgeneralize um, you know, too many Rhode Island fans, but if you look at guys like us, right, that are part of part of a new 
the last five year graduates and whatnot, right? There's a new expectation than the people that graduated from say 2008 to 2014. I mean, there's just a different type of feel for us because we've seen teams playing an NCAA tournament. We've seen football go over 500, right? So now to have these fans, and now the second part to this is the fans that are in attendance now, think about it, right? If you're a, a, a freshman right now, you've had your senior year of high school taken away from you. And now you're still fighting the remnants of a pandemic. If you're a sophomore, you had your senior year of high school taken away and you had your freshman year of college. So you really have two classes of students that have not experienced a roadie game day. That's why, and if Rhode Island can capitalize on this and win some of these non-conference games to start, you will start to see that snowball effect and you know, 700 to 1,000 students will, will become the norm just like it was in 2016, 17, 18 when NCAA tournaments were the norm. And playing off that culture aspect that Cox mentioned in his post-game press conference, how much do you think the staff changes with TJ leave, with TJ getting promoted, Coach Sutton leaving, bringing in the new assistant coaches? How do you think that all affected all this culture change and all that stuff? Yeah, I think I think right now, and we saw it with Dan Hurley too, right? Because Cox is a, is a disciple of Hurley in terms of this new Rhode Island regime. But Dan Hurley historically had really good assistant coaches. I mean, Luke Murray was, was top-notch. B David Cox was top-notch. When he brought in Tom Moore for a year, he's top-notch, right? Jimmy Carr was great. Dave Cox has had, you know, really good assistant coaches. John Carroll was great. Kevin Sutton is, is one of the better coaches and communicators that you're going to find in college basketball right now. And now he's finding some people within, right? Promoting TJ in his tenure here, who has a unique perspective as playing for Jim Barron, playing for Dan Hurley, coaching with Dan Hurley, and now coaching with David Cox, right? Austin Carroll is, is a great example. And Todd Bozeman, you know, he's got that Rhode Island narrative to him, which certainly fits, right? I'm, I'm excited to have another alum on staff, but I think he also brings a side to him that is stern in a way that's not so much scary, but to a way where you, you can trust that guy, that guy on your bench, you can trust him. Right. And uh, the same thing goes, every assistant coach has something to their own benefit. I think Austin Carroll and TJ Buchanan, their youth, right. And, and, and kind of younger guys, one having a Rhode Island connection, one that's just his dad's a basketball lifer and he's a basketball lifer. You start to see them, they can connect with the team. Right. And, and these are things that again, Dan Hurley had it with his staffs. Dave Cox had it with his or has it with his. I'm really excited to see Todd Bozeman, though, a guy that has coaching experience at the highest of highs, has been through a lot as a coach, right? I mean, there's no hiding his past, but a guy that has, you know, come back to his alma mater now after historically, but he's been around forever, right? So you have a lot of basketball lifers. You have a lot of guys that have seen a lot of basketball and they all seemingly have some connection back to the DMV. So in terms of recruiting, I mean, how else can you sell a, a, you know, two transfers like the Mitchell twins? What other better way than to sit down and say, hey, I literally grew up exactly where you grew up. I've seen players that have gone through this before. Let's give you a new home. And Dave Cox has done a really good job now in the transfer portal, too. So long story long, I think culture wise, the, the program is in, you know, some of the best shape we've seen it in a while. Now, obviously, we did talk a little bit about the starting lineup. There's a couple of players I, I want to bring up. Uh, one player has very Rhode Island ties um, and actually proved himself very well in the JWU game. That being Sebastian Thomas, who played for Bishop Hendrick in your alma mater and, you know, just looked very confident out there. And to think that he's a freshman scares me. Oh, yeah. I mean, David Cox said something in his postgame presser after JWU that, you know, had a lot of people like wide eyed and, and he made the comparison to Jeff Dalton. Right. And, and I know he's got 
a lot of work to do because Jeff, for my money, is one of the, if not the best point guard that is that has come through Rhode Island. I mean, he he really was. I mean, the, just look at the the run he made as a true freshman to help beat Creighton and and win the A10 tournament in 2017. So to have that comparison is a lot, but but what I see Dave Cox's analogy to is he's really calm out there. And Jeff had that about him too. If you remember Jeff Doughton, even in games that he wasn't performing well or games that like that Creighton game where he dropped like 20 something points in the NCAA tournament, his demeanor was calm. This kid, Sebastian Thomas had what five steals in the first half. So he's defensive minded. And then to just give some publicity, to some Rhode Island folks, I mean, he fits Jamal Gomes' bill to Bishop Hendrickson to a T, and that is borderline what David Cox's entire mentality is, which is kind of defensive-minded. We might have to grind out some games, but we're going to win on the defensive side of the ball and push it up in offense with a lot of pace. He's no stranger to this. And to come in with the plan of being a redshirt and now to be thrown into you know minutes – that takes a lot of mental strength too that I'm sure he's going to have to overcome. So, so there's some pressure on him just in terms of, you know, his role is going to change. But again, I think it's an opportunity and, and a, an opportunity that he's deserved now. Cause again, I'm not in practice every day, but if the coaching staff feels, you know, that he should be playing instead of using a red shirt year, that shows that he can be a direct contributor to a team or else they would preserve it. So, so they, they got to see something in him that that's pretty special. And now to jump into it, got a outside of the two games that we've already talked about in the Providence game, because we all know that the Providence game is a whole different animal in our non-conference schedule. What games jump out at you? And what do you think the prospects are of the chances of playing Boston College twice in a week? Definitely in this year. How do you think the non-conference shapes out and what games jump out at you? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a couple of them, right? And and I think, you know, one of the ones is that Bryant game, right? And and it's that in-state feel. Um, same thing goes with, I know PC is to a bigger spectacle, right? If PC was coming to the, to the Ryan Center, it's bigger. But that Bryant game is on a Friday night. Again, people are longing to get back to the Ryan Center. Um, so I'm excited for a game like that in terms of a fan's perspective. In terms of opportunities, I – not many people are talking about Tulsa, but I, I went back in the Thank last full, yeah, the last full yeah. season that Tulsa played. I mean, they they won twenty something games in the American, but they had beaten Memphis. They beat UConn because they were still in the, the the American. I'm excited to see that game um, because again, now listen, no, no, nothing against Boston College, but you know they're in a coaching change year. We already get to play them at home. There is potential to play them twice, but you got to get through Saturday and figure out outcome Saturday before anything, right? In terms of that Daytona tournament. So I think the Tulsa game is important. And I think that neutral court game with the College of Charleston down in, in Washington, D.C. It seems like, again, Providence has become the big non-conference slate because we haven't had it in so long. But that that game against the College of Charleston, the Tulsa game, um, and really Bryant are the three that I personally am, am looking forward to, to watching as, as a Rhode Island fan. We'll be watching the uh, Tulsa game right there from the sidelines in Daytona, right, Gary? Love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Love well, we'll be seeing you down there in Daytona there, Stone. I, you know, I don't know. It's it's funny you ask that. I've, I've been kind of um, contemplating because I'm going down with my mother and sisters for Thanksgiving to Orlando on Wednesday. So if I can spin somehow getting down there a couple days early, because we also play Florida Gulf Coast on Tuesday. So I don't know if I'll be in Daytona, but I'm trying to get to the Florida Gulf Coast game on Tuesday night because I, I that's that's as simple as just moving my flight up one day. But uh, 
Hey, if I am though, I'll find you too. Cause uh, a Daytona yeah. I've heard is, is, is a lot of fun. So I'm uh, going to have a good time. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be happy <laughs> enough. Yeah. But I'll, I'll keep you in the loop on that one. Yeah. I hope there's a lot of roadie fans down there, but getting yeah. emails from the alumni association that there's supposed to be meetups and meet and greets and stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, I'll definitely be, uh, be in the loop. If gotta, I gotta hope that we get, get a lot of roadie fans down in Daytona. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, obviously a couple other players I do want to bring up. Uh, we do have a couple more that, you know, came in. We did talk a little bit about Jalen Carey already coming off the bench, a uh, familiar face from last year. Uh, but we do have a couple new players that we did see. We have Abdu Samp, who is from Upper, Upper Marlboro, Maryland, same town as Jeff Dowden. Pretty sure he attended, I think, the same high school as Jeff Dowden, if I'm not mistaken. I may be wrong on that one. Um, and then obviously, Trace Barry, which we didn't see that much in that J-Wool game uh, due to injury. Uh, and then Larry, and I'm not going to pronounce his last name correctly because it's super difficult. Uh, Ao Fayali is just massive on the court, and I, I was very impressed with the height, and and just looks very very confident there. So can you talk a little bit more about you know those players, and and you know also I would say a little bit also about you know some of the other transfers that we did get as well. Yeah, I mean you look at some of these names, and and again, again this is this is coming from from a guy that likes to think I follow him extensively. I'm watching practice the other day. I'm watching the exhibition and, and I, you almost got to remind yourself of, of who some of these guys are. And it's just because of that pandemic year threw everything off, right? Who's a true freshman right now? Uh, who's a sophomore? Who's a red shirt, right? I, th- these were recruits though. And, and you know, Tresbury is, is one of the, the bigger names, I think. Um, and we haven't seen too much of him because of that injury, but I think this just plays to, again, the point about depth right now. I mean, Rhode Island has, you know, a fortunate opportunity where before you even get to any of those names, you got three or four guys that are going to see some time first, right? Which then leads you to believe that it goes back to that culture, right? Those guys are going to get some minutes this year, but they're going to have players that that have really developed ahead of them. Um, I'm excited to see some of them play, um, but I really, I really don't know what roles they're going to have. And that's just because I got to see what this starting lineup brings, right? We didn't see the Mitchells both healthy, for all too much last year, right? And I know Andrew kind of alluded to it, but Beatrand, you'd like to think because he got injured, you know, late in the year, maybe we see him second half of the season. But if he comes back healthy too, that's another guy you're going to throw in the mix. So I don't really know what the roles are of some of these new faces, but I know that it speaks to the depth on this team that I don't think Rhode Island has to worry about these new faces quite yet. Now, if one jumps out and starts playing well, if we see Sebastian Thomas's minutes go from 12 a game to 18 a game and then into playing a whole half a game, I'm certainly not complaining, um, but I think there's some players ahead of those guys that that are going to uh, are going to really get minutes and meaningful minutes for Rhode Island this season. It's, it's definitely a good problem to have the depth problem, which your eye has been hasn't had very much of lately. But uh, I think we can, I think we need to start shifting and looking at the A10 as a conference as a whole. I think the three of us can agree that after seeing the St. John's box score and that Wu game, the rankings may be a little wrong and that we can that you or I should be up a couple more and I think the three of us can all agree that St. Bonaventure is the clear-cut favorite where else do you see the uh conference going there Stone? well I think I think this year and, and and this is something that you know you look at seven right and then you look at six and in, in um five and six ahead of you and even up to four I think VCU is four right I think it goes St. Bonaventure uh Richmond St. Louis VCU Dayton somebody else Probably Davidson 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 Rhode Island UMass somewhere around there anyway where I'm going with this is especially with St. Louis's injury problems I really think 
you know, the difference between three and seven, the margin is, is not very much. And, and I, I really will too. I'll, I'll give credit when it's due. I don't think Rhode Island is maliciously at seven. I think there's a lot of coaches too that don't really know what the middle of the conference looks like. Right. We know that there's some teams that are going to be at the bottom, right. Fordham. Washington, I don't think is going to be too good this year. Right. I, there's some of those clear cuts. There's some clear cuts at the top that you guys are alluding to, i.e. St. Bonaventure. But what's really going to make or break Rhode Island season in the Atlantic 10 are those road games in the quote unquote coin toss games on the road against UMass this year. Right. What do you do there when UMass comes to the Ryan Center? What do you do there? I don't know who their conference pairings are. So I'm still trying to map out where we got to go on the road. But that first conference game, December 30th at home at the Ryan Center against Dayton, that even is a huge game for URI because that's a team that's right around you in the in the rankings. And the one win that you can get December 30th means just as much if you beat Dayton at home on February 28th, right? So you have to start off strong and win some of those middle of the pack coin toss games on the road. And that's the difference between 11 and seven and 12 and six or 12 and six and 13 and five and finding yourself the four seed with a double buy in Washington, D.C. come A-10 tournament time and being the six seed and, and only getting the buy to Thursday. So there's a lot of different scenarios that I think is really going to affect St. Louis through Rhode Island and really the first two, three weeks of the conference schedule into the middle of January, we'll start to see, you know, some different, some shakeups in the middle of those standings. So realistically, as we move forward, um, everybody would love an NCAA tournament bid, but would you characterize this season as a success if URI is able to make the NIT and host an NIT game or make it a few rounds in the NIT? Or would we want this season to be NCAA or bust? I mean, I, I think it's a difficult question. I think because, you know, w again, we are part of a new type of, 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 you know, in terms of who we were as students before we became graduates, where the NCAAs were what, what we expected. And then, again, 2020 was kind of a tease because they win nine straight at one point. They're getting votes in the top 25. They got humbled a couple times when you have to face Dayton, right? But really – they, for a while, were the second best team in the conference. And the only reason why they were number two was because Dayton was light years ahead at number one. And in a league like the Atlantic 10, that's historically a multi-bid, 2020 looked like they were getting a bid, right, until the wheels kind of fell off. Um, I think this season, postseason, is an expectation for the team, right? I, I don't think I'm speaking at a turn to say that the culture in the program believes that they're a postseason team. With that said, though, what do postseason teams do, whether that's the NIT or in the NCAA tournament, is they win on the road, they win close games, and they win conference games that they should win, right? And I say that because there have been some teams, I'm just Rhode Island, teams in general, that they do. They drop a game in the middle of February that at the moment doesn't seem too important, and then it drastically affects all these metrics that are taking into consideration that, by the way, the metrics are moving every year to work against the Rhode Islands of the world. And the metrics are working for the Minnesotas and, uh, and the middle of the pack Big Ten schools and the middle of the pack Big 12 schools. So there's a lot. And, and I don't envy being a scheduler, uh, uh, at, you know, or an assistant coach at a mid-major or, or a high mid-major like a Rhode Island in the Atlantic 10. That's a tough job because metrics throw everything off and you might have a 21, 22 win season. And if your Ken Palm is in the seventies, you're not getting to the NCAA tournament. It's, I mean, it's that simple. And then you have to be a bid stealer come conference tournament time. So 
roundabout answer. I think the expectation is probably to make a postseason if you ask somebody within the program. But I think logistically speaking, it's it's a tall task for any mid-major to to come in as the seventh best team preseason wise and and to and to try to fight for a postseason bid. I think the the cards are stacked against you to a certain degree. And then following up on that, I uh, with all like the conference shakeups going on across the college basketball landscape, what are you thinking about the A10? Should we try to add some schools, try and boot some out like the Fordhams of the world or do you see any of the, the big top teams leaving the conference anytime soon? You know, I, I, I don't quite know. And I, I don't know that quite yet just because I think the American has still has a belief that they're, that they're football heavy. Right. And we see how football heavy really drives the bus, right. And everything. Um, so the American having some switch up is, is something to keep an eye out for. With that said, though, a team like Wichita State, right, what do they do in the next 18 months? What do they do in the next two years, right, where they don't even have football? They join the American to take a shot at UConn and Memphis and, and, and Houston and, and these big schools that are now Cincinnati that are now going to be within the next two years in different conferences. I don't know is the answer. But what I do know is this. If I'm a conference like the Atlantic 10, I think they kind of got something in their back pocket that a lot of teams don't. And that's if Temple does decide the football things don't make any sense. The A-10 will welcome them back, right? We'd love a school in Philadelphia, another school in Philadelphia, right? We'd love to be in, in other people's homes and, and stuff like that. So I think I think the Atlantic 10 can, can use this to their advantage over the next 18 months. But I really think the best answer is time's going to tell because this is changing literally by the minute right now. And, and I'll wrap it up with what we did last year when we had John Stone. Launch your A-10 tournament champion how many bids we're going to get and a final four prediction. And oh final- boy. You're already doing this now. Come on. I got my final four. No, no, no. Stone, Stone, don't listen to Andrew. I'm going to make it a little easier for you. Right. All so right. I'm looking, I'm looking to get your final record that you think URI is going to do their ranking in the a 10 tournament and your a 10 tournament winner. That's we'll, we'll keep it. We're not going to go into final fours. We'll have you on closer to March madness. Close to I that. Th- I think Rhode Island can win 20 games. I really do. And I, I think that's their non-conference schedule will, will help them a bit. But but to me, there's no reason why they can't win nine games in the non-conference slate. I, I really believe that. Um, and I think that I think they're going to win anywhere between 11 and 13 games in conference play, right? And that's where I talked about kind of the coin flip games, right? What games do you win in, in, against those middle of the pack teams, do you squeak one away from St. Bonaventure or Richmond? I don't know, right? Because I, I, I got to look more into them, but I do know that they are better than you, right? Just roster wise, they're better teams than you. So I like to think they can win 20 games. I don't know how many losses that leaves you with. So I'm, I'm going to have to cop out there and just tell you that <laughs> oh, I, I like to, I think they're going to win 20 games. I think, I think they're somewhere between four and six. I really do. I think they're, they're a high, a higher middle of the pack team, if that makes sense. I don't think like, cause we've seen this before. Right. And I keep coming back to that 2020 season, but, but that 2020 season, they lose to Richmond at home to start the A-10 season, but bounce back by beating VCU twice, one on the road, right. In a true road game. So David Cox has shown that his, his groups are historically not afraid of anybody in the conference. The year Dayton went to the NIT, we lost to St. Bonaventure in the A-10. That was 2019, my senior year. They went into Dayton and won an overtime, right? With Dana Tate being the hero. I mean, there's a lot of. I remember that, that one. Yeah, 
there's a lot of games that Rhode Island for every for every Fordham loss that people will point out that Rhode Island's had, they they have had some really good road victories. They're not afraid to go into UD Arena and they're not afraid to go into the Seagull Center, right? Um, and those are two culturally wise, most sound programs the conference has ever seen, in particular over the last five seasons. So I think they're going to squeak out some of those wins and, and they might even win them in dominant fashion, especially if they're, if they're bigs play in, in that dominant role, you know, and if the Mitchells can expand too, I know I'm going back to like the logistics of the team, but if the Mitchells can expand the floor a little bit, cause I think they're athletic enough to do so that brings a completely different dynamic that some a 10 teams just, just can't keep up with. So I can see them finishing anywhere between four and six. And I'd like to think, you know, what's the last part where they'll be in the tournament? No, who, uh, who's going to win the A-10? Tournament? Oh, the A-10. I really got to go with St. Bonaventure. And I say that because I don't, I'd have to go back and look. I know I had it in my notes from when I was a junior and we lost to Davidson in the final. But I think you got to go back to like St. Louis in the early 2010s for the last team that won the regular season and conference tournament. I want to say it was Jim Cruz, maybe third year or second year at St. Louis, um, which is probably 2011. And St. Bonaventure is the first team to do that since then, this last season. They're good. And I was high on Oshun Oshuni when he was a freshman. Kyle Lofton. Yeah, insane. I mean, and again, we can, we can kind of bicker with St. Bonaventure, right? But I mean, you want to talk about a team that has engulfed the culture it's them right and it starts with schmidt and then works its way down i i like the bonnies this year i think they deserve all the preseason recognition that they're getting but yeah i, I you know i can i can see that team as a team that wins the regular season tournament and then comes conference tournament time and the bonnies travel well especially especially around saint patrick's day they they are <laughs> no matter where that a10 tournament is you can find the bonnies bars trust me they are a great fan base and i think they'll they'll have a strong presence in, in washington dc so i i get the bonnies probably winning this conference and I also following up on the Bonnie's, I think that this is probably Schmidt's last hurrah in, in Olean. I think finally, I think after Oshun and Kyle Loft and all of them leave, I think this might be the chance that he gets to finally get a job that he can't turn down. So all I was going to say about Schmidt is that if I'm Boston College, I'm just kicking myself because no matter what you offer him this year when you fired Jim Christian, he wasn't leaving. This is the best team he's he's probably had at St. Bonaventure, but they've turned on him, his alma mater, like three times, right? And now you're looking at a guy that has, you want to talk about building a program. He made the, the blueprint himself, right? I don't know if he's going to leave at the end of the year, but I think that's a great point now, right? I mean, what does he have at, at the end of this year? I don't know. Is it a Dan Hurley type situation where you look at it and you go, everybody is gone now, right? Dan Hurley lost six players, all like Nicola Kelly and then his whole starting five, right? So it made a switch pretty, the right place, right time. I think you might be onto something there, Andrew. Mm, it's a good one. Hot take, Andrew's hot take, Andrew's first time <laughs> of the year. Now, obviously, uh, Stone, before we do let you go, we did have Coach Reese uh, earlier in the show. I just want to get your thoughts on the women's team. And obviously, Coach Reese talked a little bit about transfers and that. Uh, just what you think is going to happen with this uh, this lovely women's team that uh, a lot of people are very high on. Yeah, I mean, I, I one thing that I really enjoy about Tammy Reese is is her presence and 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 her ability to communicate. And and you know, I think you know communication is so important. Hence, why I teach Com One Hundred at URI. I mean, I'm huge into how it works, right? But I mean, you see her and and 
the way that she gets the absolute most, everybody talks about the people that get the most out of their worst players, right? I mean, us in New England, we use Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady got the most out of Austin Colley, right? But Tammy Reese has this unique, you know, effective way of getting even more out of the best players. And that's what makes this team scary good to me this season is that you have a group of transfers that have come in. You have a group of players now that know what it's like to win, right? And, and just calling a spade a spade here, before Tammy Reese, winning seasons were, forget few and far between, they were the anomaly with URI women's basketball. Now that's become not only the expectation, but it's been exceeding that. It's not just getting to number four in the Atlantic 10. It's we want to win a postseason championship. I mean, a conference tournament championship and get to um, the NCAA tournament. So it starts with her. It continues to her staff. And then it goes to her players. I mean, sitting in on some of those practices, I mean, it's pace, it's energy. It's, it's, it's the things that you really see out of the Mississippi States and South Carolinas and the Yukons. I mean, in terms of just culture, I can't say that they compete with those teams on the court, right? I, I, I don't know those teams well enough. And to be honest with you, I don't know the, the landscape of women's basketball enough. But I do know in the way that they prepare and the way that their practices are conducted, I mean, it's, it, they're scary good. They're really good in the way that they practice. And largely that'll translate. They have an early test, though. They start the season on the road, which is a rarity, right? They're on the road at Dartmouth on Tuesday. So, and then they come home to play Merrimack. So it, it, it'll be a really fun season. And then they also play Sunday, which is unique. So they play three games in their opening, you know, six days of the schedule. Very similar to men's basketball, we're going to get a we're going to get a really good look at this team within the first couple of days, and uh, I think the Ryan Center will will. I really think people are going to start coming out for for some of these women's games too, because if you haven't bought stock yet, I mean, you got to get on the bandwagon now because it's only going to rise, and you're going to get dividends on them too. I'm just I'm I'm just saying, Stone. Uh, from what we heard, season ticket sales were up fifty percent, more over fifty percent for the women's yeah. teams. Oh, yeah. And I'm not, and again, just, and I'm not, and I'm not tooting our horns, right? Myself and Andrew signed up for season tickets for the women's team. We bought stock because yeah. we had to, yeah. but I think that her switch of the culture we have never seen. And it's a, it's a new taste of victory and another team to focus on and, and to enjoy in this kind of Rhode Island landscape. All right, Stone. Uh, it was great to have you on the show. Uh, obviously, you can catch Stone on the ESPN Plus broadcast at the Ryan Center for men's, women's basketball, men's soccer, women's soccer, all the URI things. There's there's too many to name. Uh, and also make sure to follow Stone on Twitter at the Stone Freeman, spelled exactly the way it is. Uh, and obviously, make sure to catch Stone with the call for Tuesday's home opener against BU. But realistically, you should be at the Ryan Center cheering on the Rams. So make sure you get your tickets, call the Ryan Center, check out our, uh, our buddy Tyler Foley to get some of those tickets to those games. Stone, thank you for being on the show. Thank you guys. Really. I, I appreciate you having me and uh, this will be a fun season, right? It beats sitting at home. I love doing broadcasts. I hated doing them in an empty Ryan Center. And, and this, I, I told my mom the other day, I was like, you know, last year was unique because a lot of people only get to hear me during home games and they were at the Ryan center. So I had a different audience last year, but I've learned quickly that, that the best audience is the audience that gets to see it live. So I'm excited to see the two of you again on Tuesday. Um, 
and then we'll get to do it again Friday. That's the best part about basketball. So I love football. So, I know. football, you got to wait a week for basketball. It's like I get two. Like if we if we end up in Daytona together, we get two games back to back in forty eight hours. In a Gary, I was like a kid on on. Um, I'm just on saying, Thursday Stone. Night. You should have seen him. He was giddy in his seat. Giddy. Love that. No, I'm excited yeah. for it. And uh, thanks, thanks for what you guys do too. This is really fun. Anytime you need me on, I'd love to be on here. Thanks, Stone. And we just want to thank Stone for joining us once again on an episode of Roadie Baseline. What a great guy to talk to. We could have talked to Stone for hours upon hours. Make sure you give him a follow at the Stone Freeman. He brought up some very interesting points that Gary and I are going to summarize basically right here that we had some good conversations on. And then we're going to talk briefly about the non-conference and the two games that we have starting tonight with Boston University. But I think I think one of the big things is the new faces that this team has, both on the coaching staff and on the uh, roster that we brought up with Kevin Sutton leaving, TJ getting promoted, Ishal Amin coming in from Ball State. You have Sebastian Thomas, the local kid from Hendrickon, coming in. You have a couple other guys who probably won't see as many minutes. Trace Berry is another name that gets out there. This team, outside the starting five, which I think, Gary, you have written down, right? Yep. So the starting five for this team, as we brought up in the Stone interview, is going to be Jeremy Shepard, Ish Alamine, Ish Leggett, and the Mitchell Twins, uh, with Malik Martin, Antoine Walker, uh, and – Sebastian Thomas coming off the bench and our favorite Andrew Jalen Carey will be back as well. And you're not even, you're forgetting, you're forgetting Trey Berry. Oh my goodness. Last year. See this, he, see. he didn't play in the J-Woo game out of uh, precaution and Alan Bertrand when Alan Bertrand comes back from his knee. When was the last time this team had could go 10, 11 deep? I, it's hard to believe. And I think that's going to be a big key to your eye success this year is the depth that this team has. It may not be a lot of bigs outside of outside of Malik and Antoine Walker and the Mitchell twins, but you got bodies and you got some talented bodies on this team. We saw Sebastian Thomas, as we mentioned, the local kid who was a great pickpocketer. You know, it's too soon to tell, but he had shades of fat when it was stealing the ball. Ishal Mean looked like he could shoot great. I was very impressed with how the team looked against Jabu. Made me really believe what happened against St. John's yeah, in that secret, not so secret scrimmage. You you also got to remember, Andrew. This team was able to have a full off season this year. They're able to build that chemistry. You know where that will matter when it comes down to February and March. Like that's something that the team last year didn't have the ability to do. And now they're, you know, they were able to get a full off season, get back into the swing of things, have fans in the Ryan Center, all important things that will only benefit this men's basketball team. And I think you hit the nail on the coffin right there with two points. I think the fact that they were able to have the whole off season, they were able to have the camp, they were able to build camaraderie, they were able to work out with each other all summer, they were able to stay stay active. You know, I think last year they weren't probably playing as much basketball as they were this year. I think the other thing that you said is the fans, Gary. We were there on Thursday night against Jay Wu. It wasn't anything. We're not. It doesn't count as like the first welcome back, but the fan support it really means a lot. It was so great. I know you and I saw a lot of people that we haven't seen in a few years. I think people are chomping at the bit to get out of the house and getting to see this team. And I think the players are gonna 
I think Antoine Walker specifically, he loves that crowd interaction. I think Antoine's going to love it. I think Ish, Ish, look at it this way. Ish Leggett hasn't played in front of a college crowd. He hasn't played in front of a crowd since high school. He's going to love that when he plays BU tonight. I'm just saying, Andrew, the no, just when JV grabs that microphone and screams out, it's going to bring goosebumps down my spine. And it's, it's almost going to be as loud as when JV came out of retirement that year a few years ago. Seriously, at that point. But, yeah, no, this team, I think them being picked seventh is only going to going to change things and, you know, kind of light something under them to to prove that they are oh, way yeah, better than seven. And, and let's be honest, the door is open. With Javante Perkins getting hurt in St. Louis, the door is open. Dayton rebounding after their year that they had last year. I think everybody's going to be – nobody knows. I think URI has the most question marks. They have a lot of new faces. They got a lot of veterans on the team. I think everybody can agree that the Bonnies from St. Bonaventure are the top dog in the A-10. If they don't go wire to wire, I would consider that a disappointment. Two through ten, Lord knows. Yep. I think we can all agree that the bottom four are going to be – the bottom two at least are going to be George Washington, LaSalle, and Fordham. I think that's everyone can agree with. Two through ten, it's going to be a dogfight. Yep. I wouldn't be surprised if you were eyes two. Wouldn't be surprised if you were eyes ten. You're disappointed if they're ten, but you just never know with this conference. But yeah. I think the way that the non-conference schedule is shaped out to be, it's going to prepare the team very well for conference play. And it doesn't start easy. You got two games this week against Boston University and – Bryant University, two very game, very big games, and I think people are underestimating the power of this BU game. And for somebody who has watched a fair portion of BU basketball, you guys should be scared of this game tonight. Yep, and don't forget that there's a lot of more tougher games coming up on the schedule. You got to remember that they have to go to Harvard. That game's going to be difficult because Harvard's a good. That team. game's going to be the ultimate trap game. The game's on a Tuesday night in December before the game of the year. I, we're not going to talk about – we're not talking about PC yet because Gary and I could go on about hours and hours and hours about that PC game, especially after everything that happened last year with that. We'll get into that next week. But I think that Harvard game, the trap game, Tulsa is going to be one tough test. As Stone mentioned, they won 20 games there last year. And I think one thing that is daunting – maybe not – daunting is probably not the word. That's unique is getting to play Boston College possibly twice in one week. I think that's going to be cool to get to see. Then you play College of Charleston. You got the rematch against Brown. You have you going to Milwaukee this year. You have Georgia State after Thanksgiving. You, nothing like URI in that Saturday after Thanksgiving matinee. That's always a tough game no matter who you're playing. When you play Sacred Heart this year, like it's going to – there's not a lot of big names on the schedule this year, but it's a lot of tough games on the schedule, Gary. Yeah, you can't also forget, and you brought up that Brown game. Brown didn't even get to play last year because obviously the Ivy League didn't play. And, you know, you're right, still looking for revenge for that loss two years ago at the Pizzatola Center. And that game is the last conference game before we get to A-10 play and Dayton comes to town. So you, you got to stay That's another focused. trap game, in my opinion, yeah, too. You, you got to stay focused, and, and it's it's going to be a tough one. The schedule might not look, you know, amazing on paper, but there's a chance to get some quality wins, 
that in the end will benefit you in March coming up. Yeah. The opportunity is there, and Stone mentioned it. You can make an argument that you or I could win six non-conference games or they could win nine, ten non-conference games. It's all about how you execute throughout these next few weeks, and it starts right away tonight with BU. And might as well jump into it now, Gare Bear, as we mentioned it in the uh, interview with Stone. I got a little personal, uh, little personal thing on it. My sister is actually a BU alum, so she'll be in the building tonight. So we got to make sure that we uh, – show her what being a part of the ruckus is all about tonight. She's going to be sitting in section 204. I think wrote E around there if anybody wants to go and throw popcorn at her. Tell her you sucks. Give her a good old roadie, roadie, roadie welcome. Be my guest. But I've wa- I watched this team last year. They, they were the top of their conference. They've been in the NCAA tournament once or twice the last couple of years. They're a very tough team to start your, start your season with. And that's something Coach Cox likes to do. I remember a few years ago, he brought UNC Asheville in. You get the teams that are top of the lesser conference to come in. You beat them, and it looks good on paper, and it's just another one of those teams. But the game, that Bryant game scares me, Gary. Yep, that Bryant game on Friday. And I'm not talking, again, like Andrew said, we're not talking about the PC game this week. Probably talk about it in a couple weeks right before it comes up. But that Bryant game could be – a very, very close game, difficult game for URI. You got to also be aware that there's one factor that we are still not sure of as of this episode. And that is the fact if Peter Kiss plays, it's going to be a lot tougher for URI than if Peter Kiss does not play. Oh, I completely agree. Peter Kiss is the key to that game. But I also believe that Bryant, Bryant's ready to come to the national stage. And I think that this Rhode Island game could put a lot of notice locally into them and I just they beat they came close to being Syracuse last year they were five minutes away from being in the NCAA tournament so what Jared Garasso is doing with that team is is amazing and I just they're destined for greatness this year and I I truly believe that that game is could very well be right up there with PC and Tulsa as one of our toughest games of the non-conference schedule. Brian is no joke, guys. As I know they're from Smithfield, and they've been considered our so-called little brother the last few years. Brian very well could be a Cinderella team come March. Jared Garasso had the opportunity to leave last year. He didn't. He wanted to finish what he started and get this team to an NCAA tournament. And that Brian team is scary good. They play fast. They shoot. They play great defense. And... They've been right at your eyes bit for the last few years. They want it. And quite frankly, this could be the year they do it. Yep. It's going to be a really tough game. Two tough games for URI coming up. Um, obviously, uh, before we do get to Andrew, Andrew's hot take, I do want to get, Andrew, your predictions for these games coming up this week. Uh, we'll start out with Tuesday's game happening tonight, Tuesday. At 7 o'clock at the Ryan Center, also on your view if you're a Cox subscriber, and ESPN Plus for anyone else who's not in the area. Who do you think is going to come out the victor against BU and URI? Well, I'll be frank with you, Gary. We were playing hockey. I wouldn't even go to the game. I've seen so many BU hockey games, been to Beanpot games. I've been to Hockey East playoff games. We were playing hockey. BU would smoke us, and I wouldn't be confident in the bet that I made with my sister 
about URI winning. But when it comes to basketball, I'm very confident, and I'm very confident my fellow Rhodey Ruckus members will be giving my sister a very warm welcome to the Ryan Center tomorrow, tonight at 7 o'clock. Remember, Section 204. Anyway, I do believe that URI will be beating Boston University this evening. As for the Bryant game, Peter Kiss plays, URI loses. I think Jared Grasso, just like Dan Hurley wanted to beat PC before he left, I truly believe that Grasso wants to beat URI before he leaves Bryant. So I think this is the year he finally does it. If Peter Kiss doesn't play, I don't think he's able to get over that hump. But if he's able to play, I believe that Bryant will get over the hump and come down to Kingston and have a nice ride up 95 to 295 to back to Smithfield and a very nice ride up there. So I would take Bryant in that game. No, I, I like your thoughts there. Um, I am going to have to agree with you on BU. I'm not too worried about that game, not taking anything away from BU, but uh, it's not something I'm concerned with. I say that even if Peter Kiss plays, you or I will beat Bryant by three points. Three points. Yeah, I think the crowd's, the crowd's going to be a big aspect in that game. A Friday night, the students are going to show up, show out. I think that could very well happen. But I also want to know your prediction for how they finish because I know we got Stone's prediction for the A-10. What is it? What were you thinking about that, Gary? So I would say they have us as seventh, which I don't think is, is possible, right? I do think URI is going to finish between four and six, um, closer more to four uh, with getting either the double bye or being that late game on the Thursday night. But I don't think that they're going to be any lower than that. Now, be aware, obviously, the A-10 can change. You know, things have changed throughout the year, players getting hurt, etc. But as of this point, I would say between four and six for URI. What do you think, Andrew? I'm going to be a little bit more pessimistic, or not pessimistic, more optimistic. I'm going to I'm gonna say they definitely get the double bye. I really do. I think you can't underestimate the experience of Shepard and Antoine Walker. I really think that Shep is going to, he's going to want to make some noise. So I really do think that they're going to, they're going to shock a lot of people. They're going to finish somewhere in the two, three, four mix. Worst, I would say, is five. I think St. Bonaventures is going to run away with it. I don't think St. Louis is going to be able to find their identity soon enough. I mean, and Lord knows with Richmond. Richmond every year, they're supposed to be good, and then they crap out. Last year, they were good, crapped out at the end. I remember two years ago, they were picked to finish first in the conference, and outside of beating us, they weren't anything spectacular. So, and Davidson's always tough. So I would say the Bonnies, VCU, URI, and then toss-up. I like it. So with that, it is now time for the first Andrew's Hot Take of the year. Go ahead, Andrew. Andrew's Hot Take brought to you by Beating BU so my sister can cry on the way home. Anyway, in case you guys haven't noticed, I want to beat I want to beat BU so I can make fun of my sister for a year. Anyway, so my hot take is a lot of you know that we're playing in Daytona Beach, November eighteenth to the twenty second, and sun in the Sunshine Slam. We're going to be playing two games that weekend down in Daytona. We're going to be playing Tulsa at either Boston College and the University of Utah Utes. But little do many of you know. The wonderful boys of Rhodey Baseline will be taking the trip down to Daytona. So, 
Roadie fans, we want you all to get down to Daytona. We want you guys to buy Gary and I a beer. We want you guys to talk to us, have fun with us. We're going to be doing a lot of cool content down there with for the podcast, so make sure you keep an eye on Twitter. Follow along with our trip. It's going to be a great thing. Gary and I every year try to go on a trip somewhere that's on the basketball schedule. It's going to be a great time. Hell, we might even go live from Top Golf on Friday afternoon. You never know with Gary and Andrew. Yep, that Andrew is right about that. So obviously, you do want to head to Daytona Beach for the Sunshine Slam. That's happening November 20th and the 21st in Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, and obviously, if you do come down, say hi to us. We're very friendly, willing to talk to you guys about roadie hoops if you'd like. And be and aware. Drink. Definitely <laughs> willing to drink. But be aware that we will possibly be doing some content down in Daytona Beach. Uh, so you do want to keep up with our socials on that. Now, don't forget, URI has a game tonight against Boston University. That game happening at 7 p.m. at the Ryan Center on ESPN+. Plus. And your view if you're a Cox subscriber. And then Friday, a doubleheader of games. So URI versus Bryant Hammonds at 6 o'clock at the Ryan Center on your view, ESPN Plus, and at the Ryan Center. And then the Rhodey women's team, after playing away at Dartmouth tonight, good luck to them. They will be at the Ryan Center at 8.30 p.m. on Friday for a game against Maribac. We will chat with you guys next week. And as always, go ahead, Andrew. For the first time this year, I've been waiting all summer since March to say this, baby. Go Rhodey!